Hi, We the People friends. Every week, I ask you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Here's why that's important. Positive ratings help new listeners find us and decide to tune in, and then we can spread constitutional light and inspire others to educate themselves about the Constitution. So if you're enjoying the show, please search for We the People on Apple Podcasts on your iPhone or iPad or Mac or wherever you're listening. Scroll down and click write a review and leave a message to let us know that you're enjoying We the People. We would really appreciate it. Thanks so much and on to the show. I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. The National Constitution Center is a nonpartisan nonprofit chartered by Congress to increase awareness and understanding of the Constitution among the American people. The Justice Department recently filed a lawsuit against Google, accusing the company of unlawfully maintaining monopolies over search and search advertising. To discuss what the lawsuit might mean for the future of big tech and to understand its legal stakes, I'm joined by two of America's leading experts on tech, antitrust, and the Constitution. Tim Wu is the Julius Silver Professor of Law, Science, and Technology at Columbia Law School. He is a contributing opinion writer for the New York Times, where his recent piece is Google, You Can't Buy Your Way Out of This. He's the author of many books, including The Curse of Bigness, Antitrust in the New Gilded Age. Tim, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, sure, pleasure. And Adam White is an assistant professor of law at George Mason University's Antonin Scalia Law School, where he directs the C. Boyden Gray Center for the Study of the Administrative State. He's also a research fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Adam is currently editing a series of essays for national affairs. It's called Big Tech, Big Government, The Challenges of Regulating Internet Platforms. Adam, it is wonderful to have you back on the show. It's great to be here, Jeff. Thank you. Let's begin with the facts, as Professor Kingsfield says. The Justice Department has alleged that Google has entered into a series of exclusionary agreements that collectively lock up the primary avenues through which users access search engines and thus the internet. I'm reading from the complaint, and that's essentially a claim that Google is dominant in search. And second, the Justice Department alleged that uh, this dominance hobbles competition in the search markets. Um, and the, the language from the complaint is these anti-competitive practices harm competition and consumers, reducing the ability of innovative new companies to develop, compete, and discipline Google's behavior. So let's take each of those claims in turn. Tim, can you explain more fully what the Justice Department is alleging when it says that Google is unlawfully dominant in search? Well, what they're alleging, to be a little more specific, is that they have illegally uh, maintained their monopoly. Um, and uh, it is uh, uh, not illegal in the United States to, to have a monopoly, but it is uh, illegal to, to, to maintain it using anti-competitive tools like an exclusive contract. And I, I think the basic... Uh, ideas. Uh, number one, that Google is a monopoly, something they would contest. Uh, and second of all, that these deals, and I think the easiest to understand is a deal with Apple. Um, you know, they did this deal with Apple and they paid Apple a lot of money, uh, billions of dollars, uh, in order to me uh, stay the sort of 
default exclusive search engine uh, for Apple on on the iPhone, uh, which was an, a very important market. Um, there's a hint of a sense that maybe they were paying Apple to stay out of search themselves. You know, seen that way, this is almost like a collusion between Apple and Google uh, to uh, give Google the search markets and Apple can stay to what Apple does best. So that that's basically the core of what the government is alleging. Adam, what would you add to Tim's description of what the government is alleging about Google's unlawful monopoly in search? Well, I, I agree with what Tim just said. As I understand it, there are the allegations regarding Google and, and Android as opposed to Apple is that Google has, has executed uh, exclusivity agreements that require the, the installation of Google software and bundles of Google software on Android devices as well. Uh, Tim's the, Tim is much more expert on these things than I am, and so I'll, maybe I'll leave it at that, except to add that I think the response of Google, both before and now after the lawsuit, so often is these, the, the consumer choice is just one click away. And that whatever Google does, you know, paying millions of dollars in these agreements to, to sort of position itself best in this market, the consumer himself or herself can just un- uninstall software, change a default search engine in a iPhone uh, browser and so on. And, and, and with that, the consumer can still choose. But I think that, that, that I'm skeptical of that because as somebody who uses an iPhone uh, knows and that it's it's sometimes not so easy to change these things. You have to learn how to change your apps. You have to invest the time and effort in in customizing your phone. And I think that Google recognizes, and they're paying money on the basis of their recommendation rec- recognition, uh, that to be the the default option on these things is worth an immense amount of money, since most users just stick with their defaults. Tim, well, since Adam has introduced Google's defense that Adam, the choice is just one click away and he's expressed skepticism about that defense, tell us what you think, uh, both of the defense and of the substantive charge that Google is unlawfully uh, inhibiting competition. Well, let, let me explore another, uh, I think, challenge uh, for the government, uh, one that Google uh, will forward. And, and these are my views. I'm, I'm just sort of giving um, what I I believe will be Google's most uh, important defenses. Uh, Google will also contest the idea that it's a monopoly. And, um, you know, the definition uh, of monopoly, we know, means a single single seller. And uh, Google will say, well, you know, you can't really think of general search as uh, uh, a market, Uh, you know, because you don't buy things in it. It's just kind of out there. It's not really a market. And then if you're uh, saying, okay, well, what we dominate or have a monopoly in is, is advertising, well, you know, actually we compete with all kinds of companies uh, for marketing, uh, for advertising, uh, digital advertising, you know, Facebook, uh, Amazon, very dangerous competitors. So I think one of Google's strategies uh, will be to suggest, uh, not if they are small fry, but at least that they they, they don't actually have uh, monopoly power here. And there, there's something to it. I think one of the great go- challenges for the government in this case, what I see as the key challenge, is there is a sense that Google didn't quite coerce anyone into adopting the Google search engine. Um, you know, it's not like Samsung was dying to use Bing and then, uh, well, you know, if they're going to give us billions of dollars, 
uh, well, we'll go with Google. I, I think that the, again, to take the Google side on this, the strongest uh, uh, arguments are all about like, this doesn't look like a normal sort of monopoly forcing people to do stuff kind of case. And uh, that, uh, like Microsoft, we could talk about Microsoft in a second, but yeah, no. So you've got me arguing the fence and it looks like Adam's on the, the prosecution side here. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, um, yeah. my, my, my head is spinning, but I want to make sure that both arguments are put on the table. So Adam, one more beat to you on this first allegation that Google has unlawfully maintained monopolies in search and search advertising. You, you express skepticism about the choices one click away. What, what do you think of the argument that Google is not actually a monopoly? Yeah, and and I should say up front, just so I don't confuse listeners, I have mixed thoughts about Google and about uh, the lawsuit itself, and so I want to try to do justice to both sides. In 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 Google's defense, uh, it's not clear that consumers have been harmed. Uh, we we all as a public flocked to Google in the early two thousands because it was an astonishingly effective search engine at a time when search engines were so. Uh, crucial to our our use of the of the very quickly expanding internet, um, and so it's not clear that we've suffered from using sort of second rate products from Google. Uh, at the same time, now I'd say now there is something to be said for Google's argument if it makes it that that the market is not it can't just be sort of general search. We now get our information from the internet through a variety of channels. Uh, we can search on Twitter. We can search on Facebook. We get news feeds. We have all these different sources of information where it, in some ways, we're less reliant on the one size, uh, the, the all-purpose search engine. But I think really the key, the key flaw in the lawsuit, or the thing I have the most doubts about, is the real consumer harm. As, as, you know, as conflicted as I am on so many of these issues, I am still at root, uh, I think, a believer in the, the, the current mainstream of antitrust economics. Uh, I, I recently helped Joshua Wright, former FTC commissioner, with a paper he published for National Affairs calling you know, to, to maintain the current doctrine on antitrust. And one thing that worries me about this lawsuit and worries me about so many of the debates surrounding antitrust is that there seems to be broad efforts on both the right and the left to change antitrust law or to go beyond it to cure the ills that it sees companies like Google uh, bringing to society. And I, in many ways, I think of this, this lawsuit as an example of that. And it's why, as much as I have some skepticism about Google in general, or some concerns about Google, I still remain skeptical about the lawsuit itself. Thank you for that nuanced answer. Uh, Tim, Adam has put on the table the second part of the lawsuit, uh, namely that uh, Google's anti-competitive practices harm consumers uh, and uh, they reduce the ability of new companies to develop, compete, and discipline Google's behavior. Tell us more about the kind of consumer harm that the government is alleging and what you think of that allegation. Well, uh, I'm not going to, and I think that's... <laughs> uh, uh, actually are all important uh, bridge to antitrust history uh, because uh, I uh, am not of the opinion that this case should turn on whether in fact you can prove that uh, consumers uh, you know are a dollar out of pocket a year somehow because uh, Apple uh, or because Google paid so much money to Apple or it's reflected in higher advertising rates um, so uh, I think that the consumer welfare centric approach to antitrust, which is a modern innovation 
um, dating roughly from the 1980s, at least in the courts, uh, has gone too far. I think uh, the Google case uh, shows us why. Um, if you accept uh, as, as fact, and I'm going to say that we don't know this, but uh, if you accepted fact as fact that, that Google and uh, Apple made a deal in exchange for, let's say, $10 billion a year um, given to, to Apple in good old hard cash, um, which is, even for these companies, not a trivial amount of money, uh, that in exchange, Apple agreed not to enter the search engine market itself, which you know it probably could have done. Um, you know, I think that is an attack on the competitive system, um, on the competitive process. Uh, I think it's uh, bad for the country, but it doesn't mean uh, that I can prove to you to, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt that I can show, uh, you know, a dollar harm amount from that uh, in litigation. And uh, to me, this shows why antitrust has, has, uh, gone wrong uh, by being too influenced by the the economics of the of the 1960s and 70s of uh, a famous uh, figure some may know Robert Bork uh, of the Chicago School of Antitrust and um, yeah I mean a more uh, I don't want to flatter ourselves but a more Columbia School approach or maybe a return to pre uh, Chicago approach would say uh, you know showing a harm to competition is is what antitrust uh, should be about, not these very detailed price uh, theory-centric methods. Adam, Tim has just uh, given us a sense of the argument that he made in the New York Times recently, namely that antitrust went wrong in the 1970s and 80s and 90s when influenced by Robert Bork's uh, path-breaking book, The Antitrust Paradox. Courts began emphasizing consumer harm above all. I, I guess I'd ask you to respond to his argument. And do you agree that courts went wrong or should consumer harm be the focus? And if it is the focus, is there adequate consumer harm alleged here? Well, let me start with the ending uh, on Google. I think my reading of the complaint is that the, the government basically takes a self-evident, the the, the, the the consumer harm that flows from these exclusionary agreements. Um, and there's something to be said for that. If, if Google couldn't obtain its objectives through the market, um, then it would enter into these agreements. And why would it enter into these agreements but for the fact that it can't just win on the market? I I'm not sure about that. Again, Google has had such an incredibly successful uh, tool now going for, for two decades, such an effective tool, that it's not clear to me that Apple ever would have entered search or that would have built a, a better search engine. I just don't know if there's a showing of that um, or if there's a showing that Apple really did leave the, the market intentionally behind because of these deals that would i think that would raise you know more alarming antitrust questions but we're not there yet and in terms of where we are in modern antitrust law i'm not again not nearly the antitrust scholar that 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 that, that tim is or that, that josh wright and others are i'm fundamentally comfortable with modern administrative law because i'm fundamentally un uncomfortable with sort of open-ended government regulatory power and one of the virtues i think of the modern Chicago School of Antitrust was that it used the consumer welfare approach to put a limiting principle, put some structure into the otherwise open-ended provisions of the Sherman Act and other antitrust laws. There just isn't a whole lot there there in the substance of so many of the of the statutes. 
And I see in many ways the Chicago School of Antitrust as being the other side of the coin of the other legal movement of that time, the textualism and originalism movement that tried to find some framework that would that would limit discretion of judges, both for the sake of, of enforcement and lawsuits now, but also to point back to Congress and say, if you don't like these standards, legislate them anew. And until Congress returns to the drawing board on antitrust law, I, I think that, that the consumer welfare standard has been you know, the, the best limiting principle on antitrust discretion that we've seen. So we have three schools on the table. I think we better disaggregate them. Uh, Tim, uh, the Harvard School of Antitrust in the 60s and 70s uh, presumed the illegality of mergers, um, regardless of whether the conduct had the ability to benefit consumers by lowering prices. The Chicago School comes in in the late 1970s and uh, focuses on the effect of conduct on consumers before finding it illegal. And then you mentioned a Columbia school. So tell us what the Columbia school is, and you're certainly at the center of it. And then give us a sense of whether this lawsuit is likely to prevail in the courts under the existing law, which seems more favorable to the Chicago school, or whether you'd have to change the law into a more Columbia-like approach in order for the government to prevail. Yeah. So uh, l- let me, if you don't mind, start in the law before before the theory. So, um, you know, uh, I'm uh, certainly not opposed to rigor, and I think um, there there was, uh, in fact, some helpful uh, correctives that were accomplished by the intellectual movement of the Chicago School. Um, the problem is anything uh, can be taken too far. Textualism also, uh, and originalism even more particularly, even if intended as a form of restraint, um, can uh, almost... Uh, turn around and uh, become less of a restraint, but uh, their own uh, source of um, activism or almost like a club. Uh, you know, it begins life as a cage and turns into a club. Uh, that's probably a pretty bad metaphor. Um, Cardozo had a better one where he said that metaphors uh, begin life designed to uh, uh, liberate thought and end up enslaving it. Um, but I think it's gone uh, too far, and I don't want to make Adam defend something he may not believe in, but there are uh, those, and Google may be, lawyers may be in this crowd uh, defending their case, who will say, you know, it's not enough uh, to show harm to competition. We are going to put in litigation a burden of proof for you to show a sort of monetary, concrete harm from Google locking up um, its competitors. Uh, and if you can't sort of show that in this very concrete form, then you, you got to go home. And that's kind of the extreme version. I don't know even if Robert Bork would believe in that, but it's uh, something to say of where Chicago has, has gone, which is, a, uh, in legal terms, a excessive burden. And what happens is you start to push at the limits of economics. Uh, you know, there's a lot of harms that exist that are um, difficult to price out. And in, even in competition, you would think, well, it doesn't seem obvious that lack of competition is uh, costly. Well, it turns out to, to be, you have to sort of prove the negative. What would the other world look like where we'd had competition? Well, probably have lower prices. Well, you know, you can get an economist to try and say that, but um, it creates a, a very big burden for the plaintiff. Uh, Columbia School. So, what, you know, the, the Columbia School uh, draws a lot of its inspiration uh, from Louis Brandeis and I think is a return to a conception of antitrust, uh, which is as interested in power as it is in prices. 
it is uh, concerned with putting some limits on on private concentrated power with a sense that there's a almost a constitutional aspect to this. Now, you know, the cases may still be expressed in similar ways, still use the antitrust laws. But I think in the background is this idea that the antitrust law was passed uh, as, as part of a sort of democratic constitutionalism, and that that's very important to keep in mind uh, when, when we take on these big cases against some of the most powerful uh, companies in the country, not to mention the world. Well, since we're squarely in the middle of uh, Brandeis and uh, The Curse of Bigness, uh, which was the title of Brandeis's famous book and, and your great one as well, I must ask Adam what you think of Brandeis's claim, which is now being so eloquently championed by Tim Wu and the Columbia School, that the purpose of antitrust law, like the purpose of the Constitution, is not efficiency, but liberty, and the focus of regulators uh, should not be uh, consumer welfare, but uh, power. Well, Jeff, I, I know I know not only of Tim's appreciation of Brandeis, but yours as well. And so I tread very lightly before criticizing Brandeis. In fact, I think Brandeis is the right figure to look back to at this moment. And I'll even go one further and say that the moment we have right now, the, the practical role of these tech companies in our daily lives is it's more than just approaching the sort of the gilded age that that Brandeis came came of age with. I mean, back then we were talking about oil trusts and 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 the, and all these other trusts, um, manufacturing and agriculture and everything. In some and, and transportation, in some ways, the tech companies um, are a strange amalgamation of all of those things. Right? You think about all the different things that a small handful of companies do in our lives. And so I, I, I think that Brandeis is the right person to look to, and I take his thoughts seriously on these things. The, I think I'm skeptical of major reforms in federal antitrust law, though, from my own um, Brandeisian perspective. Please don't throw me out of the room with this one. But what, what the thread of Brandeis's thought that I'm most attracted to is his skepticism of, of bigness and power in the federal government. Uh, the Brandeis who joined the unanimous Supreme Court, um, striking down unanimously core parts of the the first New Deal, including in the the Schechter Poultry case, the you know resurrecting the non delegation doctrine. Um, I'm as I said before, I am wary of these large tech companies. I think they need a lot more scrutiny, and they might need real reform through the law. I'm just wary of using the hammer of federal antitrust enforcement as a first tool in this. I'm especially wary of the Justice Department doing it on what might be the eve of the end of this administration, bringing this lawsuit um, possibly for political reasons. Um, all of this leaves me very wary of the lawsuit, but for th- reasons that I don't think Brandeis would totally disregard and might have, at least in some small respects, some sympathy for. I can't uh, resist quoting uh, Brandeis in the Myers case. Uh, the doctrine of the separation of powers was adopted by the convention of 1787, not to promote efficiency, but to preclude the exercise of arbitrary power. Tim, can you uh, tease out how Brandeis limited his concern about arbitrary power at, in the federal government with arbitrary power in the corporate sector? Yeah, uh, no, thanks a lot. And, um, you know, some danger of this moving to the from the Google hour to the Brandeis hour. But um, I uh, want to say that uh, uh, 
fortunately or unfortunately, Adam uh, and I agree on some of this. I am also uh, not someone who supported the first New Deal. I thought it was a horrendous uh, effort at uh, central planning uh, that uh, was dangerous in a very dangerous time. And frankly, we might be very lucky that it failed, uh, given what happened in countries where uh, those models were more successful, uh, particularly Italy and Germany. So, um, yeah, no, uh, I, I'm not a lover of a, a highly centralized uh, federal government that directs economic policy um, uh, and decides who wins and who loses and so on. I think there's extreme dangers in that direction. And in some ways, I think our country has been lurching a little bit in that direction um, in recent times. But uh, where I think we do disagree is I do think if you believe there is some need for a check on enormous concentrated private power of the kind we're seeing right now, um, if you look at the revenue of uh, you know Amazon and and uh, just the top five tech companies combined, uh, you know it's somewhere in the neighborhood of six or seven trillion dollars, which is more than the GDP of, of an enormous amount of the world's countries. So you're dealing with entities that have the the powers of nation states. Uh, they in some ways are are more in your life, uh, have uh, know more about you, have uh, almost certainly more control over what gets heard or seen. Um, uh, at least in a country where you have a First Amendment, so. Um, there's an extraordinary amount of power at play here. And the question is, who has the actual resources, the power to stand up to it? Um, you know, having worked in state government, um, I, I, I like the states, but, uh, you know, there's 10 people in the antitrust division of New York, which is actually one of the stronger states in this area. Um, and uh, you could maybe hope that legislatures uh, do the job of controlling private power. But I think legislatures have a track record of uh, being overwhelmed. Um, you know, they haven't passed any legislation um, in Congress, at least, that's even remotely um, uh, something that the uh, big tech companies don't want. So I think that uh, has a lot of problems. So you're sort of left with uh, independent law enforcement with a lot of power behind it. And that's, uh, that's in my mind, when it comes to monopoly power, we're talking about the antitrust laws. So maybe that's uh, where I differ is, uh, you know, I have sort of a balance of power uh, theory here between private and public. And um, if we're at least speaking domestically, uh, you need something with the power that can stand up to companies uh, that have so much in the way of resources and their own forms of power. Well, Adam, the your debate with Tim about Brandeis is fascinating, but I do want our listeners to understand whether or not this lawsuit is likely to succeed under existing precedent, um, assuming it goes forward. Will it, is it likely to succeed and, and kind of analyze under existing doctrine uh, what its chances might be? I have to admit, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen next because it's not quite clear to me what the government is really asking for and what the lawsuit might produce. We'll see what, the, what Google's response is, and maybe this will get resolved quickly on motion to dismiss, because I, I I just don't think the law clearly supports this. But even if they get past that preliminary stage and say, if, if Biden wins, say the Biden Justice Department maintains this action, the, the relief that's been requested, structural reform, is so open-ended, it's not clear even what the government itself is asking the courts to do, whether it's 
practically feasible, technically feasible, within the limits of real judicial discretion? I don't know. So I have very low expectations for this lawsuit. I wouldn't be surprised to see it go away shortly after a uh, after a, a change in administrations if uh, Vice President Biden does happen to, to, to win in the election. Uh, I have very low expectations for the lawsuit. Tim, what are your expectations for the lawsuit? How might it fare at each phase? What is the relevance of the Microsoft case in telling us what might happen? And what are the possible remedies that courts might order? Yeah, so um, I think the case is uh, strong. And uh, one reason I say that is that uh, I think that, uh, or I know that the Justice Department has pretty much copied their uh, Microsoft complaint. And of course, they won the Microsoft case. Uh, and they're relying on all the same theories of Microsoft. So they, they clearly have uh, the, the precedent, uh, it is sort of the strongest precedent uh, on their side. Um, you know, they're not, it shows that Silicon Valley is not the only place that knows how to clone a successful product. And there's no question in my mind that they would make it pass a motion to dismiss um, and even pass summary judgment. So, you know, uh, if they, they keep going with this, uh, it's kind of a simple theory. That's why, uh, you know, no one doubts that the contracts exist. Uh, the hardest question, as I sort of alluded to before, is whether um, there is indeed monopoly power or, in you know, some version of did they really hurt anybody with this, which is what Adam brought up earlier. Um, but there's a couple other kind of side things that are really important that I want to bring in um, to fully understand this. First of all, the states are widely expected to file their own complaint or complaints. Uh, there might be two different groups of states that file their complaints, or they may file it all together, but that's going to happen. And it further complicates uh, the story. Um, there's the possibility that Ad Apple will be added to the lawsuit. Um, I think it's very preliminary to discuss that, but uh, you know we've discussed collusion already. There is something a little bit unusual about the fact that uh, Apple hasn't been added. Um, I'll, I'll note, among other things, that there's a lot of money on the table that Apple has. And uh, finally, the big question to me, and, and something that seems to me to, to favor the suit, is a big question is why hasn't Google settled this? Um, you know, if Google believes uh, that they really are the best and they don't need to pay this money uh, to um, keep the default position, um, you know, one really big question is why is Google paying that money? But if, if they think so and they say, okay, we'll knock it off, no more deals uh, at all. Well, why aren't they settling? Now, one possibility is the Justice Department refused to settle or, you know, suggested something so onerous like uh, we want to split you into 40 pieces that they, they thought that was crazy. Um, or it could be that they really do need this deal and they need to win this lawsuit to, you know, it matters to them either to keep uh, Microsoft out or to keep Apple out. So uh, that's one of the other elements in here. And, you know, maybe it'll be wrong. Maybe um, now, maybe it's just that uh, Bill Barr wanted to file a complaint and, um, after he's had his fireworks, they'll quietly uh, settle and, and we'll never hear about it again. But uh, I don't know. I, I think this uh, is going to have legs. Adam, on the consumer harm point, which will be crucial for courts, I have to ask you about privacy. Um, 
in another life, I'd spent a lot of time thinking about digital privacy and the complaint alleges that the simple collection of consumer data in order to get ad revenue is itself a consumer harm. How, how much traction might that get in the courts? And also what's your response to Tim's claim that by simply following the Microsoft playbook, the Justice Department actually has a decent chance of succeeding? Well, I agree totally with Tim that this does feel a lot, the complaint in the end feels a lot like the Microsoft complaint, and it'll either be distinguished or not on the facts of this, as, as I think Tim Tim just said a moment ago. Um, if we're going to talk about privacy, if we go on very long, we'll be back at Brandeis again, I suppose. Excellent. Um, but I, but I, I'd say I'm glad you brought up privacy. I think there's so many substantive complaints surrounding Google right now, privacy, data, content disputes, in part the questions about whether Google shades its uh, search results to favor one political direction or another. There's so many substantive criticisms being levied at, at Google that I, like Tim, wonder what was stopping, what if anything stopped the Justice Department from settling if that was a possibility? And I kind of wonder if whether the Attorney General Barr's Justice Department and the Trump administration made onerous structural demands on these sort of second, these, these, these outside issues um, regarding the content of Google's search results. Um, I, I kind of wonder how much is that, that was there. I think that in the end, there's so much swimming around these companies um, if we do see other lawsuits from from blue state attorneys general, they have their own. They, they have no shortage of complaints about Google too, as we saw in the recent House Judiciary report coming from from Capitol Hill. And so, I'm not sure what the upshot of of it's going to be in in this particular case. To get back to the point of it all, if Microsoft if Microsoft case is the model for this. The factual differences might simply be the superiority of Google's product versus Internet Explorer. If I remember correctly, Microsoft's anti-competitive behavior trying to lock in early Internet Explorer, which was not self-evidently the best browser. If anything, it was clearly not the best in the era of Netscape. And then Internet Explorer took off for a while, and then it was overtaken by other things. Back then, Microsoft was really leveraging its monopoly power uh, to promote a sub, uh, an inferior product. Um, and it's just not clear, I think, yet whether that's the case with Google or not. It might be. And if that's the case, then this, then this case is, then this case is very strong and, and it, Google will lose as Microsoft lost. But I just think that there's a big difference between, uh, to me at least, a big difference between the product at issue that Google is serving up and, and the product that Microsoft was trying to foist upon every, you know, Dell, Dell and Gateway and IBM computer that was coming off the line. Tim, what do you make of Adam's suggestion that Google might win because its product is better than Microsoft's browser? And then tell us about the range of structural reliefs that you think courts should order, uh, such as selling off part of the company or avoiding its restrictive contracts, or perhaps even regulating Google as a public utility. So I'll begin by uh agreeing with Adam, uh, as I said earlier, that I think the path to victory for Google, the weakest part of the government's case, lies in this uh, fact that it's pretty much universally felt right now that Google has the best product in town. 
Now, there's some who might say, well, you know, that's circular. Um, it's because they did all these deals uh, to, to get all the traffic and whoever has the traffic is going to have the best product. So, you know, they've set this system up uh, to make it impossible to challenge them on a, on a quality basis. So, so I'll, leaving that to one side, and I think that is one of the most important counter arguments. I, I don't know if I've made it clear or, or not, um, but uh, that is their path to victory. Um, and I think an important missing element for the government is a sympathetic victim. Um, you know, where is the blood on the floor? Even as a, forget about consumers, even another competitor, where is this sort of worthy um, alternative to to Google that uh, got squashed? And are you really suggesting that Microsoft um, is the victim here? Uh, another multi-trillion-dollar company. Now there's smaller players like DuckDuckGo, so maybe they're the um, the victims maybe it's something that never got started because they realized there was no path forward but there is that sort of lack of a uh you know a dead body just to be <laughs> straightforward um in the case and in fact in the microsoft case netscape was killed by microsoft's uh measures uh but internet explorer i don't think rose just because it was people like the color blue or it had some great advantage over Netscape. Um, there was no way to get at Netscape after a while. They, they, they locked them out and uh, uh, they won. Microsoft uh, made it all the way to 92% market share or something with Explorer. Um, so that is the, the biggest uh, difference. Now, uh, I think the government has counters to this position. I mentioned one of them. Uh, the idea that... Uh, Google's quality is a byproduct in part of its anti-competitive behavior. So by uh, making sure that it's the only show in town, it's the only one that has enough data, that has enough user feedback uh, to improve the product constantly through A-B testing. And I don't want to get too technical, but one of the reasons, well, everyone uses Google, so... um, you know, this isn't necessarily technical. One of the reasons that Google is so good is they are much better than Bing or DuckDuckGo at sort of obscure searches. Um, you know, DuckDuckGo and Bing are pretty much the same as Google when it comes to searching something like uh, NCC website. You'll find that, um, you know. Columbia University, you'll find that uh, Louis Brandeis, great biographies. You'll the first hit will be Jeffrey Rosen's. No, but uh, <laughs> I didn't write a biography. <laughs> so, uh, and there's other good biographies. But what I'm saying is, you, you, it's fine for those searches. But when you get something slightly obscure, um, I don't know, uh, criticisms of the APA in the '60s or something, uh, which no one knows what I'm talking about other than Adam, uh, then the other search engines really start to fall down. And one of the arguments is that they just don't get enough traffic in order to populate those searches well or to test what makes for a better search under those circumstances. So there is a theory out there, and I assume the government will bring back this theory, to say that this kind of quality advantage is part and parcel of their monopoly maintenance. And you know we could have a world with two competing search engines, like really competing, each at about half the 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 search uh, volume um, uh, that and and they would both be quality and maybe be 
different and interesting ways and also maybe subject to some of these less subject to some of these bias problems that we talk about or at least you'd have a choice uh, they could kind of uh, keep each other straight a little bit um, but the Google has eliminated that possibility. They've they've knocked everyone down to a level where they're not really in a position to create a quality competitor. So that's sort of the government's comeback. Um, uh, the final question is uh, that you asked is, well, what kind of relief would make sense? What are the remedies? Uh, at their press conference, uh, the government, the Justice Department, uh, by the way, represented by Jeffrey Rosen, not our host, but a uh, Justice Department lawyer, um, they uh, said, I think tellingly, that nothing is off the table. And uh, the possibilities, I would say, range from the very simple, which is knock it off, no more exclusive deals, you are enjoined from any such deal making in the future, which is a relatively uh, mellow remedy and one I'm surprised Google hasn't already uh, agreed to already if it was offered uh, to the more extreme structural options. Um, one of those which has been discussed would be the divestiture of the Chrome browser um, based on the theory that part of what keeps uh, Google uh, strong is the fact that it also has a near monopoly on browsers. And, uh, you know, Chrome is pretty hard to get away from the search engine. Another idea that's uh, out there, this is more extreme, would be a divestiture of Android. So Android would become a separate company. Um, that would be uh, strong medicine, but uh, would certainly change the competitive landscape. So, uh, yeah, that's, and I think we're very obviously in very early days, um, and uh, none of us has real information on on what the government is thinking about. Um, Adam, your thought on the remedies, Tim, uh, identified a range of possible ones. Uh, what do you think of them? Which ones might a court order and which ones, if any, should a court order? Well, since Tim mentioned uh, the Justice Department's Jeff Rosen, I just want to go out of my way to say that it's uh, I have the, the pleasure of being friends with both of the Jeff Rosens. Um, uh, so when I sit here criticizing his lawsuit, I don't Everyone who went to summer camp is friends with the Jeff Rosens. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of nothing being on the table, I wish the Justice Department would have at least put some specific things on the table to explain what some possible outcomes were. I've drafted enough complaints that I know that you you always leave the door open to anything the court might plausibly grant. Um, but the but the real lack of specificity in what precisely they're asking for, which that leaves me uneasy. Um, I agree with with Tim's suggestion that the the maybe the clearest and easiest ones remedies would be ending these exclusionary uh, agreements, these exclusive agreements, if it can be shown that they they actually do entail competitive harm. That's pretty straightforward. Hey, Google, knock it off. Stop doing that. That's fine. Um, the structural remedies in terms of splitting off the Chrome browser, splitting off Android. Um, I just don't know enough about the company's technology and operations to know how feasible that is, how deeply embedded code from one aspect of Google's operations is embedded in the others. And that if you were to split this off into two or three or more companies, whether that would mean that the sort of the core technology of Google search really would be devalued. Um, by, by making it no longer sort of in its current state, you know, usable by, by, by the Google company. 
Uh, I have to say, I, I, I agree that Google's success as a web browser really, or sorry, as a web browser, as a search engine, um, really does reflect the fact that it has amassed so much information based on two decades of search. And in many ways, that's a competitive victory. Uh, Google started far outrunning the other search engines like InfoSeek and AltaVista and whatever else we were using in 1998. Um long before these allegations of misconduct came up. And I think that that vast storehouse of data and experience, it is clearly the moat um, that keeps comp- that keeps a lot of competition at bay. And Eric Schmidt in his less guarded moments has, has said as much. Um, and so I think the question is then um, how much added protection do these other things um, provide and if the court can, if, sorry, if the government can show that in this lawsuit, which I don't think they have yet, well, then maybe the court can tailor its relief narrowly to that. But to end where I started, I agree the, the Justice Department has made clear that nothing is on the table, but they're just total failure to really put specific things on the table in terms of what they're asking for, first and foremost, in concrete terms. I, I take to be... Uh, for me, a, a reiteration of the weakness of the case, or, or at least the gap that the government has yet to fill. Tim, any final thought on remedies? And then let's turn, uh, as we wrap up, to the future of antitrust. This lawsuit against Google has attracted a range of bipartisan support from uh, Senator Josh Hawley, Republican of Missouri, and uh, Representative David Saline, Democrat of Rhode Island, uh, Elizabeth Warren is is joining. So might a Biden administration keep up a more uh, Brandeisian approach to antitrust enforcement? And could that even include lawsuits against Facebook? Uh, So let me uh, first link the uh, question of remedies to some of the discussion of constitutional values, which we had earlier. You know, as I said earlier, um, I I think antitrust uh, in some ways is part of the American constitutional system, that it finds uh, in some cases almost a final check on on private power. And if you believe that and you want it to uh, play that role, you kind of have to believe or be interested in the structural remedies uh, because they are the ones that uh, diminish or limit the power uh, of some of these incredibly powerful private entities. So, uh, you know, for example, if, if Google um, has a search engine uh, and that's their original source of power, but they've sort of spread to browsers, maybe they've spread to, to mobile systems. So they have this almost uh, not just a kingdom, but an empire. Um, and if that's true of some of the other players, uh, one of the, I guess, what I think is one of the remedies, and antitrust is in some ways an indirect way of getting there, is to say, okay, you get your kingdom, but not an empire. And uh, because, well, supposedly we don't believe in monarchy here either, but we empire's worse. And um, a, a multi-monopoly uh, empire, uh, kind of like IBM had, or, or AT&T most obviously, AT&T was uh, almost a, a part of the state. They had almost uh, six or seven markets which they were absolute monopolies in and couldn't be dislodged well in that case the only thing that's going to break it up um you know they they are beyond the power of the market to do anything at that point um especially if they have government on their side Uh, if the market's not going to be any check on this power um 
the, the remedy is, is government and the breakup is the one that is the most straightforward reduction in power, much more of a power difference than just saying knock it off with this kind of deal. Um, as for the Biden administration, uh, yes, my instinct um, is that generally speaking, uh, the a Biden administration, um, if they are, uh, if Biden wins, would be uh, you know, would would carry on with this uh, lawsuit. I uh, think, especially at the staff level, it'd be very unusual to terminate the lawsuit immediately, um, and uh, almost disgraceful for for the Justice Department to to do things that way. Um, maybe they'd be more inclined to settle. Maybe they have different uh, things, but I, I can't imagine them uh, not taking this forward. And as we've said earlier, there's also the states. Um, as another factor, we haven't talked. Uh, I don't want to overcomplicate the discussion, but there is another big antitrust uh, uh, action that is possibly in the future, and that's against Facebook. You mentioned it, and that is centered in the, in the Federal Trade Commission, a different agency. And that one, I sense that um, for whatever reasons, I feel that uh, the Democratic Party, well, not uniformly, but overall somehow seems even more uh, intensely uh, desirous of bringing that suit. So yes, I think uh, in a strange moment of bipartisan agreement, I don't know if there would be a huge difference. Uh, now, maybe what their goals are are slightly different. You know, the, the conservative bias theory isn't one that uh, the democratic uh, or the anti-conservative bias theory isn't one I think that Democrats um, uh, take uh, believe in, but uh, they do uh, sort of, I think, have a strong uh, sense that they would like to bring this case. Um, sorry, I, I, I'm going a little too far here, but there is, I should, I, I say all that, um, there is a sort of historic allegiance between the Democratic Party and roughly the left and uh, these big companies. I mean, if you went inside Google and swung around a cat, I don't think you'd hit a Republican. Uh, I don't know if you could, there are probably Republicans working for Google and Facebook, but almost all of them, I'm sure, are in the DC lobbying operation. So there is that as well, um, which would kind of uh, suggest maybe some more sympathy, but uh, I, I'm not, I, I think they'll probably uh, continue with the lawsuits. Adam, can you imagine a bipartisan consensus around more vigorous antitrust administration if Biden wins, given the coalescence of Senators Hawley and Warren. In 1912, after all, all three candidates, Taft, Wilson, and Roosevelt, were agreed about the need to uh, discipline the trust, although they disagreed about the means. Are we seeing a resurrection of that consensus or not? Well, I do think there's increasing bipartisan consensus that these companies have far too much power uh, in our daily lives in different ways, and that the government ought to bring them to heel in different ways. There's some division among Democrats and division among Republicans, but certainly with Josh Hawley leading the way on the Republican side, you do see this. And, and also uh, Jim Jordan, I saw Congressman Jordan put out a letter recently complaining about aspects of the big tech companies' uh, operations. Uh, you do see this sort of burgeoning criticism of the tech companies from the right. But I, I think that these these different political groups are bringing fundamentally different complaints against these companies. Uh, on the, 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 I'd say very, very generally speaking, on the right, 
the complaints are going to sort of anti-conservative, anti-Republican bias in the content and uh, the, the editorial decisions of these of these companies. Um, on the left, uh, I, I think it, I take it to be generally criticism that these companies aren't doing enough to uh, to combat the problems of misinformation and and disinformation. I don't think we're going to see anytime soon any consensus on what ultimately people want the government, either in administration or Congress or the courts, to do to these companies. People just agree they want something done. It's a very strange dynamic. I'll be very interested to see, especially what Google does if Vice President Biden wins the presidency. Um, I, I agree with Tim's sense of the the political sort of constituency within Google, but also Google had a very sort of comfortable relationship with President Obama and his administration before he even was president. And I don't mean comfortable in like in terms of like nefarious re- revolving door or anything like that. I just mean that that the leaders of Google were fundamentally comfortable with President Obama's view of the relationship between government and tech. And, and also comfortable with, with Obama's vision of, of, of government's role in society and tech's role in society. I wrote an essay a couple of years ago for the New Atlantis, which is a policy quarterly, and it was called Google.gov. And it was an intellectual history of Google and trying to think through what it would look like if Google were to take on a more active role at the behest of Democrats to to distinguish information from disinformation and misinformation. Now, along the way in that article, I said that I think Google probably has more to fear from Democratic regulators than Google, than Republican regulators. I, that proved obviously wrong, um, at least with respect to the Justice Department. But I do think that if Vice President Biden wins, I'll be looking for signs that, that Google will sort of proactively take on a more public-minded role, role in society, I, I, I would disagree with it, I think, but but to see Google try to take the lead almost as a mirror of the sort of ESG, environmental, social, and governance movements we've seen among other companies. And, and I think that Vice President Biden winning might spur Google to, to try to reorient um, both what it's doing and what it's seen as doing in a way that might take down some of the pressure on the political left. It certainly won't help on the right, though. Tim, responses to Adam's uh, thoughtful comments about uh, government and regulation? Uh, you know, it is an interesting uh, question. It is interesting to think about what the left and right, what the Democratic Party and Republican Party really want uh, here and why they're critical of big tech. Um, I think there's some people in the Democratic Party, that they're not very vocal, who think, wait a second, aren't these our companies, um, you know, they're from California. They believe in like paternity leave and maternity leave. They give away free food. Uh, you know, they're sort of like our kind of people. And why are we turning on them and attacking them when maybe uh, they can spread sort of California vibes across the whole universe? I think there's an unspoken... <laughs> Uh, resistance and um, uh, and and that may have more of a factor than than anyone wants to talk about because um, you know those uh, it's hard to sort of say that publicly. Um, uh, my own position is informed, and I think both the Adam and I's dis- discomfort and Republican and principled Democratic discomfort 
does come down to this idea of too much power. Um, you know, whether that is power over speech or uh, power over uh, the the or, or failure to exercise power over disinformation or whatever it is. Um, I think that's at the core of this, and I think that's why it's within this country's sort of noble uh, origins to uh, resist unaccountable concentrated power. So that, that's where I'd leave it, and that's why I see this as, a, as overall a good development. Adam, that leaves the last word to you. In 1912, there was a division between uh, Roosevelt, who wanted to use the regulatory agencies to curb the power of Standard Oil, and William Howard Taft, who wanted a more traditional uh, enforcement approach in the courts. Might we see a similar split among conservatives, libertarians, and Republicans about antitrust today? I think so. Where you stand depends on where you sit, I suppose. And we'll see how the election shakes out and which levers of power are actually within the grasp of Republicans and which are within the grasp of Democrats. And I don't want to sound cynical, but my guess is that people's attention will gravitate towards the tools they have at hand. Jeff, you keep pointing us back to that moment in the early 20th century. And if I could just say, at that moment, at a time of radical change in the way we live, the way the way the economy worked and so on. Our nation had huge debates about this. And in the end, the progressives who won, they argued from first principles, they made a case, and they wrote laws and built institutions to combat the evils they saw. I disagree. I, I not disagree. I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of a lot of the laws they passed. I'm not a big fan of some of the institutions they built. But one thing that I hope our present moment imitates with that is to try to build things anew to respond to these problems and not just keep reaching to old tools because they're the best we have. And I hope that all the debates coming out of Congress, out of the agencies and so on, I hope they'll produce new institutions and laws suited for our own moment. Um, That would be a good thing. Thank you so much, Tim Wu and Adam White, for a nuanced, multifaceted, and multipartisan discussion of Google and the future of antitrust. We the People Friends, your homework is to read Adam White's article, Google.gov, Tim Wu's great book, The Curse of Bigness, and of course, the immortal works of Louis Brandeis. Adam, Tim, thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Thank you. Today's show was engineered by David Stotts and produced by Jackie McDermott. Research was provided by Mac Taylor and Lana Ulrich. Please rate, review, and subscribe to We The People on Apple Podcasts and recommend the show to friends, colleagues, or anyone anywhere who's hungry for constitutional debate and who these days is not. And always remember that the National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit. We rely on the generosity, passion, engagement, and deep commitment to constitutional education of people like you who are inspired by our nonpartisan mission of constitutional education and debate. Support the mission, become a member at constitutioncenter.org forward slash membership, or give a donation of any amount to support our work, including this podcast at constitutioncenter.org forward slash donate. We've been getting some dollar donations, and I so appreciate that wonderful sign of commitment and engagement. So keep them coming. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.